0: God can use this to get our attention as the world, not just the nation, but the world, to look to him and to put our faith and trust in him.
1: On March 20th, Italy had 47,000 COVID-19 cases with over 4,000 deaths. More than half of those deaths came from the Lombardy region, where the town of Cremona is located, just outside of Milan. That's the day Samaritan's Purse came to Cremona. Samaritan's Purse is a non-denominational evangelical Christian organization providing spiritual and physical aid to hurting people around the world. In 36 hours, Samaritan's Purse had a 68-bed field hospital set up in the Cremona Hospital parking lot, aiding the coronavirus relief. Then, come April 1st, they also set up a field hospital in the middle of Central Park in New York City, the epicenter of the COVID-19 outbreak in the United States. My guest today is Franklin Graham, president and CEO of Samaritan's Purse and the son of world-famous evangelical Billy Graham, who's considered to be one of the most influential Christian leaders of all time. Carrying on that legacy, Franklin has become a Christian leader in his own right, meeting privately with five US presidents and world leaders from Europe, Africa, Asia, and Latin America, as well as responding to global crises in over 100 countries through Samaritan's Purse. He's also the president and CEO of the Billy Graham Evangelist Association. On this Easter Sunday, we talk about the inspiring stories of hope from the coronavirus pandemic, Franklin's thoughts on how the Trump presidency has been going, his father's legacy and the age old question of why bad things happen to good people. Franklin Graham, thanks so much for stopping by the Ben Shapiro show. Sunday special. So I have a lot I want to get to with you, discuss your father's legacy and where you stand on President Trump. We'll talk politics, but obviously we have to start with the situation with regard to coronavirus. First of all, how's your family dealing with with all of this? I hope that you're doing okay.
0: We're all doing fine. We're just uh, doing the work God has called us to, Ben. We don't slow down. We just keep going forward.
1: Well, I definitely appreciate your work. And we're going to get to that in just a second. I want to ask you that there are a lot of religious people in the United States who right now are deeply troubled by all of the calls by state and local governments to shut down churches. And there are people who work with me here at Daily Wire who have been upset that the government has deemed churches non-essential for purposes of, of shutting them down and shutting down mass gatherings right now. You know, as, as a religious person, what's your perspective on, on the government telling people to stay home from church? What do you think Christians ought to do? I mean, we're approaching Easter season.
0: Well, first of all, I think we need to obey those that are in authority. Uh, That's what the Bible teaches, and so I think it's very important that we do that. Um, The churches are not shut down. Uh, I think more people are attending online services than they did when you were meeting in person. Uh, There's something about uh, this virus that has put fear and anxiety in people's hearts, so I think just more people are online. And they're 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 participating that way, so the church needs to continue to be the church. But I just would encourage uh, pastors across the country to obey those that are in authority. And I think that's what the congregations would expect us to do.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, as an Orthodox Jew myself, I've been encouraging people to to stay home from synagogue, which has been a uh, tall order in some sectors. And and it seems to me that actually it's, it's a fairly large scale desecration of God's name when there's video and, and pictures of people going on mass to to religious institutions in violation of of government edicts that are specifically designed to prevent massive loss of life.
0: Yeah, and we we do have to be careful, uh, Ben, because uh, this is a very infectious. Uh, and it's a deadly uh, virus, uh, especially those that have underlying health issues. Uh, this could be a death sentence. And so we just have to be extremely careful. Uh, but I don't think that should, we should stop uh, doing the work that God has called us to do. But we do need to be careful. I think practicing uh, social distancing, um, these types of things is, is wise. Uh, of course, at Samaritan's Purse, we're at work. Uh, some of my people are working from home. Others still come to the essential people have to come to the office. So we're, I mean, we're still working. We're not, um, we haven't uh, missed anything. We just have to work a little differently than we're used to doing.
1: So let's talk about some of the things that Samaritan's Purse is doing around the, around the country and around the globe in order to combat coronavirus. It really is an amazing organization. What you guys have been doing in order to help people is truly incredible. What are some of the things that Samaritan's Purse has been doing, not only in the United States, but abroad?
0: Well, uh, about three weeks ago, uh, we sent a, a emergency field hospital uh, to Cremona in uh, Northern Italy, outside of Milan, about 50 miles out of Milan. This is the epicenter for the coronavirus in Italy. And we've got a 68-bed field hospital. We're working in conjunction with a local hospital, uh, but we have about uh, around 70 uh, personnel there right now that are, these are doctors and nurses uh, and technicians that are working in that hospital trying to save life in Northern Italy. Uh, and that, uh, th- that is a very important uh, place for us to be uh, because the Italians were not getting any assistance from anybody in the world. And I think when we showed up, uh, it, gave them, uh, it gave them a ray of hope that somebody's listening, somebody cares, and uh, they're here helping us. And so, of course, as a Christian organization, Ben, we always uh, feel that we should respond in Jesus' name. That's what we do. And as Christians, we want people to know that God loves them, that God hasn't forgotten them, he hasn't turned his back on them. And then just last week, we got a call from New York City asking if we'd be willing to put a hospital there. And we've always keep two hospitals in, in stock uh, in our warehouse. Uh, these are the same hospitals that the US military, uh, basically the same, that the US military uses. Uh, we have military, former military doctors that work for us. So we go to the same vendors, and we buy the same hospitals that the u.s military does uh, we we make them a little different for our applications but they have uh operating theaters they have intensive care units they have uh laboratory they we're able to do the sterilizations everything that a hospital would do uh, we can do it but for the coronavirus it's for respiratory so we don't need operating theaters for the respiratory care so we we mix it up a little bit differently, and we bring in, of course, more ventilators than you would normally. And uh, that's what we've got set up in Corona, and then now in New York City. Uh, when they were asked us last week, uh, we set up, uh, we sent a team up there over the weekend. We were given uh, Central Park, right across from Mount Sinai Hospital, of the East Meadows. That's ninety-eighth uh, and Fifth Avenue. And so uh, we've set up and actually today, uh, I mean, the last three days we've been putting the hospital together, uh, today we received our first patients. That so they believe that we'll be full maybe before uh, the end of this day, I don't know. But uh, we're there to serve the people of New York, anyone who comes, who, it doesn't matter who they are, Ben, we're gonna help them, we're gonna love them, we're gonna care for them, and we're gonna give them the best uh, medical care that we possibly can. We're not gonna give anything less than best. Uh, I read an article, maybe you read it too, about a person there in New York who uh, lost a loved one in the hospital, and and the wife was distraught because she could not be in the hospital with her husband as he died. And so she said he he died alone, and how sad and how much remorse she had that her husband died alone. Well, I I hope and pray no one dies in our hospital, but if they do, I can promise you, Ben, they're not going to die alone. Our doctors and nurses will surround them, be praying for them, holding, holding their hand till they take the last breath. And I just want uh, all the relatives to know if they come to our hospital, we'll take care of them. And we're going to show them compassion and love, the same that the Lord Jesus Christ would.
1: I mean, I, one of the things that, that's amazed me is not only the, the good work that you guys are doing, but, but also some of the reaction to that good work. So naturally, Twitter, which is just a repository of all stupidity uh, known to man, uh, there there's a, a bit of an issue today and, and over the last few days uh, about Samaritan's purse being behind the hospital people in New York shocked to learn some some radicals in New York shocked to learn that Samaritan's purse is a Christian organization that has a Christian view of of particular biblical edicts including the fact that Samaritan's purse believes that homosexual activity is a sin and somehow they were suggesting that this invalidates Samaritan's purse doing their work in New York I, I just Love for you to clarify that Samaritan's Purse is not, in fact, telling people who are gay, lesbian, transgender they can't show up to the hospital if they have coronavirus.
0: No, everybody's welcome. And if a gay or transgender person show up to the hospital, would show them the same love and compassion and give them the same world class health care that we give to anybody else that comes. Uh, but we are Christians, uh, where we are not equal opportunity employer. We we don't do that. Uh, the, the The doctors and nurses uh, we're all Christians. And what motivates us is our, is our faith in Jesus Christ. And that's what we have in common. And that's, the, that's, what, makes us, uh, that's what makes us go forward. And so uh, we use that compassion and that love and that concern that Christ showed for people. Uh, we use that to show the people that come to us. So for anybody, it doesn't matter who you are, we're gonna treat you the same. And we do not discriminate as it relates to the people that we help. And we've been doing this, Ben, for 50 years. A uh, Samaritan's person is 50 years old this year, and there has never been an accusation that we, uh, that we uh, refused help to anybody because they did not believe the same way we believe. We just don't do that.
1: Well, Franklin, I want to I ask you about sort of the, the lack of tolerance for people who disagree with you, with, with many Christians, the Samaritan's person, just one second. But before we get to that, I want to take a moment to give a shout out to all our advertising partners who helped make this show possible. We are super grateful that they decide to work with us. And we definitely appreciate our listeners going out and patronizing our sponsors and keeping all of this going. Really appreciate both our listeners and our advertisers. We're all trying to get through this together. You, me, my show's advertising partner, so let's stick together and get through this thing. There are things we each look back on and think to ourselves, how did I get it so wrong? It might be wearing multiple polo shirts or... Booking that trip to the fire festival or dating that one person that one time. You know the person I'm talking about. Well, we're always going to get things wrong. Hell, I hired Michael Knowles. That's just life. But there are also things we can get right, like shopping for life insurance. And that's where Policy Genius comes in. Policy Genius makes finding the right life insurance a breeze. In minutes, you can compare quotes from the top insurers and find your best price. You could save 1500 bucks or more a year by using Policy Genius to compare life insurance policies. Once you apply, the Policy Genius team will handle all the paperwork and the red tape for free. And Policy Genius doesn't just make life insurance easy. They can also help you find the right home and auto insurance, disability insurance. So even if you look back on the days when you hired a Yale grad and thought this will be great, and it turns out he was a completely useless piece, of, well, forget that. Go over to Policy Genius right now. Find your best price, apply at policygenius.com. Get the life insurance you need. We all get things wrong from time to time, but we can get life insurance right with Policy Genius. Check them out at policygenius.com. So Franklin, I want to talk about the, the lack of tolerance that seems to exist on one side of the aisle. So you mentioned Samaritan's Purse is a Christian organization, that it has its viewpoint on, on biblical sin and that that viewpoint hasn't changed and that it has obviously very Christian views. This has led to a radical amount of intolerance from the other side of the aisle, which suggests that in certain situations you should be shut down. Uh, I noticed that there was a story that that prior to all of this, you had a book tour planned in the UK and that you had a bunch of, of sites shut down for the book tour specifically because you are, quote-unquote, discriminatory. It, it, what, what seems to be amazing to me is that uh, there, there are a lot of people who seem to care very deeply about what you think of them. Uh, when, last I checked, there is no need to. You are not a person who is actually legislating morality. You're not a member of the government. Uh, you are just running a, a private organization. You're entitled to your religious viewpoints. Well, why do you think it is that there's so much blowback uh, whenever Samaritan's Purse does something publicly, whenever you do something publicly, based on your view of biblical sin.
0: Well, I, I think then it's uh, the blowback isn't really so much against me. I think it's against God. Uh, it, uh, the the view that I have is what the Bible teaches. And the Bible teaches that marriage is between a man and a woman. That's that's what I believe. Um, and so I, I I hold to my religious beliefs. I don't compromise those. I'm not going to change them. Uh, that's just what the Bible teaches, and so that's what I believe. And I, uh, again, for the gay community out there, I, I love them and care for them. I, I, I want them to know the truth. I, I want them to know what God says, and I want them to know what uh, His 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 Word has to say, because it's important uh, that we live our life in accordance to His Word. So I don't I don't condemn anybody. Uh, God is the one who condemns uh, we're all going to have to stand before God one day, give an account to him for how we've lived our lives. And so I just want to, uh, warn people. I want people to know the truth, but I certainly do not condemn anybody. And I'm willing to help each and every person that comes, uh, across my path in life. That's, that's who I am. And that's what I do.
1: So I want to talk a little bit more about some of the good actions that you've been taking. You founded the Billy Graham Rapid Response Team. Can you talk a little bit about the role of the team in the midst of this crisis and what they've been doing? These are
0: chaplains, Ben, and this came as a result of uh, 9-11. I was asked after, uh, by Rudy Giuliani, the mayor at that time, to come to a prayer vigil at the pile. Uh, the fire trucks uh, still had uh, the, uh, the water poured on the pile. You could still uh, smell the stench of the rotting bodies and the smoke coming up out of the pile. And to me, it reminded me a little bit maybe what hell would be like. It was a terrible scene and they stopped everything for a few minutes to have a prayer vigil. And I realized while I was in New York that there were not enough pastors, doctors, chaplains, uh, people who could pray with with those that were suffering. You had 3,000 some people that died that day, and and there there were just not enough people to deal with the grief that New York was going through. There were not enough churches or synagogues uh, to hold the funeral services. Uh, some churches were holding five, six, one that actually did ten in one day. I don't know how they did it. but uh, funeral services. So it was an incredible amount of grief and and there just weren't enough enough pastors there. and we we put together a a team of chaplains and and went up there and just went out to Chelsea Piers, where they had the makeshift memorial. People were there putting pictures and flowers and we just started talking to people and praying with people. Then we went to the hospitals, people standing outside looking for a loved one, started praying with them. And we had a tremendous ministry, but we went down to the pile and we wanted to go have uh, a prayer with the first responders. Nope, you can't come in. You're not credentialed. And not uh, credentialed. How do you get credentialed? Well, one of our chaplains was an FBI chaplain. I had no clue that the FBI had chaplains and he had a badge, FBI. And so he showed that to the guard at the gate. Uh, is this credential good enough? Oh, yes, you can come in. And after that, I thought, okay, we need to find out how we can get credentialed. And we did the training with Homeland Security through FEMA and so forth. Got all the Went through all the boxes, checked all the hoops. And now we have hundreds, we have over 1,000 chaplains here in the United States uh, that have been credentialed, that have had special training for crisis situations like we're facing right now. So in New York, we've got chaplains with us that are alongside our doctors and nurses that are willing to pray with people that want it. We don't force somebody to listen to a prayer, but if somebody said, would you please pray for me? Absolutely, we're right there. And uh, we believe that prayer is a part of what we do, a very important uh, part. Uh, as our doctors and nurses are trying to save life, but to have chaplains praying for the doctors and nurses and then to pray for the patients is a very important. So we've got chaplains there with us. Uh, and uh, so our work is, uh, of course, it's a spiritual work. It's not just physical, but it's spiritual as well.
1: Let's talk for a second about where this particular crisis stacks up next to other crises. So obviously you've been doing this for quite a while, and you've dealt with a number of crises, not only in the United States but abroad. How does COVID-19 stack up against the other crises that you've seen in your tenure?
0: There's never been a crisis like this in my lifetime. This has uh, changed the whole world. The whole world, Ben, is on lockdown. Every country in the world is right now locked down. And it's uh, frightening. Uh, no question about it. Uh, there's something, it's, it's a tsunami, of virus that has swept the globe. And we don't know the, the answers to this. We don't, we don't have an antidote. We don't have the vaccine. Uh, and the, the fear that is in people's hearts. Uh, is incredible and I just uh, as a Christian I don't fear um, I'm not worried about what's going to happen tomorrow I, I gave my life to Jesus Christ when I was 22 years old when I confessed my sin and I asked Christ to come into my heart and that night God forgave me not because I'm a good guy I'm not I'm a sinner but I confess my sin and turned from those sins I invited Jesus Christ to live in my life and I, I don't fear uh, what what's before me. I don't not fear that. If if God wants my life to end today, so be it. Uh, my life is in His hands. I gave it to Him. He can take me, spend me, use me however He wants me. And uh, but the world right now is gripped in fear, uh, I, and I've never seen anything like it. Uh, it's uh, it is a not only is it a pandemic, but it's a, it's a worldwide crisis. We've never seen this uh, in my lifetime.
1: And you mentioned your own sort of journey to faith and your faith experience at 22. What, what prompted you to, to move toward conversion to Christianity or embrace of Christianity in, in your early 20s?
0: Well, of course, man, I, I grew up as, in a Christian home. Right. And my father, uh, of course, an evangelist. My mother uh, grew up in a, a missionary uh, family in China. And so uh, we went to church every every Sunday. We were involved in the church. We did uh, those types of things. But your parents cannot choose uh, Jesus Christ for you. And it uh, doesn't matter how much they love me, that was a choice I had to make. And I was uh, 22, and I think, Ben, I just got to the point in my life where I was sick and tired of just being sick and tired. Um, you could go to parties, you could date, you could do things, you could have fun. But at the the next day you wake up, there would be an emptiness in your life. And you realize that you are you were searching for something, but you didn't know what you were searching for. And there was just this overwhelming emptiness. And one night I just got on my knees and I said, God, I've sinned and I'm sorry, uh, forgive me. I believe uh, Jesus Christ is your son. I believe that he took my sins to the cross, that he died on that cross, he was buried for my sins, and that you raised him to life. And I would like to invite him to come into my heart and to my life. And if he could just take the pieces of my life and put it together and make sense of it, you can have it. I prayed that prayer, Ben, and I meant it. And that night, uh, God uh, forgave Franklin Graham. I'm I'm still a sinner, but I've been forgiven, Ben. And I know that one day when I stand before God, uh, he will welcome me uh, because, not because of what I did, but because of what Jesus Christ did on my behalf when he took my sins and died in my place. And I accepted that by faith. The Bible says, by grace are we saved through faith. It's not of works, lest any man should boast. If you could work for your salvation, people would brag about it. It's just part of human nature. You know, Let me tell you what I had to pay. Let me tell you what I had to do. But when you come to God, uh, it's, it's by his grace and it's through faith. And uh, there's nothing else.
1: Let's talk about the, for the fact that Easter is obviously about to be upon us. Uh, it's the Passover season in, in the Jewish community. It's, it's a holy time of year for, for Jews and, and Christians alike. It's also the roughest time I've ever seen in, in my lifetime, and that, that holds true for, for Christians, Jews, and everybody else. Now, the fact is, there are going to be a lot of people suffering going into Easter, a lot of people suffering uh, during, during the Passover season. What, what do you think people should be meditating on and thinking about during, during the Easter season?
0: Well, first of all, um, there's, there's no community that has probably suffered more in modern history than the Jewish community and that they, they know what pain and sorrow and they know what suffering uh, is all about. And uh, this, this Easter season, uh, much of the world is experiencing pain and sorrow like they've never seen before. Uh, the, the estimates for the people that may die in this country are staggering. And we know that in the months ahead, it's gonna probably get worse, not better. And so I think this Easter season, it's the time for us to pause as a country, to pray and to ask God uh, for his help, his mercy, his blessing. And I think it's important that we turn to God. As a nation, Ben, we've turned our back on God. Uh, We have thrown his laws out the window and uh, they say they don't matter. And uh, our politicians have done that. People have been uh, idolatry. God hates idolatry more than anything else. And and our country has been consumed with idolatry. And sports becomes idols. Uh, Musicians become idols. Our our hobbies become our idols. Our work becomes our idols. And we have just uh, shoved God back into a closet. And uh, it's it's like we don't don't want him unless there's a crisis. And this is a, a great time for us as a people, as a nation, uh, to turn to God and call upon him and ask him for help.
1: I wanted to ask you in one second about the, the sort of correlation between you know, people doing bad things and, and God's response to, to us, whether, whether we can actually see that in day-to-day life or whether you know, it's just incumbent on us to seek God regardless of, of the treatment that we're receiving from, from nature or from the world. I want to get to that in just one second. First, I'm going to talk about a quick way for you to save money while being at home. Has there ever, like in human history, been a better time to avoid the post office? Like, you you may like the post office, but we're trying to social distance here and carrying packages to the post office. Does this seem like a great use of either time or money? Don't you wish? That you work at the post office right now? You don't, do you? This is why you need Stamps.com. Here at Daily Wire, we've been using Stamps.com since 2017. We are not wasting our time, and we're not standing in line. Stamps.com brings all the services of the U.S. Postal Service directly to your computer in the safety and comfort of your own home, office, anywhere else you are hunkering down right now. Simply use your computer to print official U.S. postage 24-7 for any letter, any package, any class of mail, anywhere you want to send it. Once your mail is ready, just leave it for the mail carrier, schedule a free package pickup, or drop it in a mailbox. No human contact required, which is exactly what you're looking for. You'll get five cents off every first-class stamp and up to 40%. Off U.S. Postal Service shipping rates. And now, in addition to offering discounted USPS rates, stamps.com also offers UPS services with discounts of up to 62%. Plus, with stamps.com, you won't even have to pay UPS residential surcharges. This is a no brainer. Right now, my listeners get a special offer that includes a four week trial plus free postage and digital scale. No long term commitment. Just go to stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, type in Shapiro. That's stamps.com. Enter Shapiro. So let's talk about one of the, the the messages that you just talked about, Franklin, and that is the idea that we should be turning to God during times of crisis, that America has turned her back on God. I, I certainly agree with you in terms of a lot of moral standards, uh, that we've become obviously a more secular, atheistic country. Uh, I think I, along with a lot of other people in, in modern life, pretty uncomfortable with the idea that that when bad things happen, that that represents God's punishment on us just because there's not a one-to-one correlation. We see too often good things happening to bad people and bad things happening to good people. So I was wondering if maybe you could clarify on that a little bit. Uh, do you think that, you know, we live in sort of a, a world where pandemics happen and that's a punishment from God? Or do you think that we, we live more in a world where it's incumbent on us to do the right thing regardless of whether we're receiving good or bad in our own eyes, not from God's eyes, but from from in our own eyes uh, from from the world around us?
0: Well, first of all, God loves us. He cares for us. And that's true. If, if someone else, if, if someone can't remember anything else we say on this program, I want them to remember that God loves you. And he does. Uh, and we, and bad things do happen to good people. And uh, that we live in a fallen, broken world. When Adam and Eve, uh, the first couple, God put them in a perfect world, uh, the Garden of Eden. And uh, he didn't want bad things to happen. But he set down the rules, and man chose to disobey, and Adam and Eve disobeyed God, and as a result of that, sin came into the world, and that's the fall of man. And so we're living in a broken world, a sin-filled world, and it's, it's, it's where we are. But that's why Christ died for our sins, so that we don't have to pay the debt of sin, which is death. He's willing to give us eternal life if we're willing to trust him. But while we're here on earth, we're gonna have pain, we're gonna have sorrow, uh, we're gonna have death, uh, but we can have that hope of eternal life with Christ one day if, we, if we'll turn and repent of our sins. So uh, yes, bad things happen, and uh, this coronavirus, whether that's God's judgment or not, I, how do I know? I mean, I'm not, uh, he hasn't told me, but at the same time, I think maybe God can use this to get our attention as the world, not just a nation, but the world to look to him and to put our faith and trust in him.
1: So I wanted to ask you, since we're, uh, everybody is, you know, trying to hunker down right now, you've obviously seen an enormous number of inspirational acts. we have talked about some of them already the, from, from the folks who work for Samaritan's Purse during this crisis. I was wondering if maybe you could give me some instances of, of sort of inspirational things that people are doing right now to help out their fellow man in the name of God.
0: Well, um, there was a man in uh, New York, uh, a very wealthy fellow, young guy, and he saw us uh, outside on Central Park working. He just came back, can I help you volunteer? He picked up a shovel. He started shoveling mulch to help. We had to have some walkways because uh, the grass was turning into mud. And uh, he worked 13 hours shoveling. And uh, again, a very wealthy guy. And he just came out to volunteer. There's people like that that just come from different walks of life, these doctors and nurses that are willing to, to put their life on the line to save the life of other people. It's incredible. And it's not just the doctors and nurses, but it's like this fellow, who young guy who had a lot of money, but he had some time on his hands and he was bored sitting at his home. He said, uh, can I help? And he picked up a shovel. And that's, uh, th- those type of people inspire me. Uh, I'm just so thankful. Uh, and, and America has some wonderful people good people. And uh, I think we, the media, sometimes we focus too much on uh, the stars. We, we focus too much on the Hollywood people whose lives for the most part are empty and broken and uh, have very little to give. Uh, but you take a young guy like that, It's just that's just an example of one of many who uh, have uh, stood up and have uh, said, here I am, use me.
1: So can you tell us a little bit more about where Samaritan's Purse got started for folks who don't know the background of the organization at all?
0: Well, uh, it was started by a man by the name of Bob Pierce back in uh, 70, or excuse me, 50 years ago uh, this year. And um, his uh, he just wanted to help churches. He wanted to help people around the world that were less fortunate. And uh, he ran it for about the first uh, 10 years. And he had leukemia and he asked if I would take it over. and at that time, the organization was very small. He had uh, three secretaries. And when I took over the organization, uh, the three secretaries quit. So for a while, it was just, uh, it was just me. And uh, God has brought an incredible team of people over these uh, last 40 years that I've been running it, uh, an incredible team of men and women. Uh, and I've, I learned one thing. Been, I went to business school. One thing I learned is hire people that are smarter than you and at the end of the day, they're going to make you look good. So I've always tried to find people that are a lot smarter than Franklin Graham. And uh, I'll tell you that that's, that's paid off because uh, they, we get the job done. And it's not Franklin Graham, but it's just this incredible team of people.
1: So I wanted to ask you about your growing up. So I met, you mentioned earlier, obviously, your father is the most prominent evangelist of the, of the last century. So what was it like growing up in a home with Billy Graham?
0: Well, I think um, the Billy Graham that the world saw on television or the big stadiums. It was the same Billy Graham uh, we, the children, saw at home. There wasn't two Billy Grahams. There wasn't uh, my mother, Ruth Graham. There wasn't a different person when the cameras were turned off. They were the same. And uh, we saw that consistency in their life. And my father was a a very humble person. Uh, If you approached him on the sidewalk, if he was walking down uh, New York's uh, Fifth Avenue and Somebody recognized him and came and said, oh, Dr. Graham, can I shake your hand? He would be kind of, oh, shucks, you want to shake my hand? Okay, well, what's your name? And he'd stand there and talk to him. And that's that's just the way he was. And so I'm very grateful for that. But he had a very deep faith. Uh, he, he believed the Bible. And he'd be the first one to tell you, I don't understand it all, but I believe it all. And he yeah. uh, had just a very simple faith. And God gave him an incredible uh you know, ability to communicate the Word of God.
1: What do you think distinguished the message that he was promulgating from some of the other messages that were being promulgated by different evangelists or or maybe the sort of new wave of evangelists, some of, the, some of the televangelists that you see on TV? What, what he, he was such a popularizer of, of the Bible. What what was different between what he did and what so many others have tried to do?
0: Well, I, you know, I can't speak for, for other people. My father certainly wouldn't want me to. Uh, my father just took the calling that God gave him, and he used that to the best of his ability. Uh, before he did anything, he would pray about it. If he felt God called him to go to England to preach, or go to Eastern Europe to preach, go to Russia to preach, uh, he prayed about it. And uh, if God laid something on his heart, he did it. And so uh, and he would get, he would be criticized. I remember when he went to Eastern Europe. Uh, there are a lot of people on the far right accused him of being used by the communists. And I remember my father smiling and saying, well, maybe I want to use them. And, uh, and he was um, uh, just very forceful, very strong, uh, and he had a great team of people around him that supported him and helped him. And uh, he certainly would uh, want me to make sure people understood it was the team. It wasn't just Billy Graham, but it was the team.
1: You mentioned earlier the phrase uh, sort of simple faith. Uh, yeah, there are a lot of people in today's world who seem to think that they are too sophisticated for faith, or who have been told that that faith is unsophisticated, that that faith requires you to ask no questions, uh, that faith is easy, and they find themselves struggling with faith. What would you say to people who who think that faith is is too simple, uh, and and what should the proper approach to faith be? What kind of questions are worthy of asking?
0: Well, Ben, I mean, there are a lot of skeptics out there, and. Uh, and they they think faith is a crutch, and uh, I, you know I don't know what I can do to change their their beliefs. But you know Ben, uh, just take this whole uh, notion of evolution, and uh, that somehow we started off as a, a tadpole and got more and more and more sophisticated as uh, time passed over the millions of years, and all of a sudden we are who we are today um and there are millions of people that believe that and uh i think it takes a lot more uh faith to believe that uh because there's no evidence whatsoever of uh of of where we came from tadpoles or whatever some lower species but as a pilot uh i have a little a single engine uh piper super cub made in 1956 and I can park that out on the runway. And I can tell you right now, a million years from now, it's not going to be a 747. Uh, there are engineers behind it that developed it and uh, put these things together. And there's a uh, it goes by a design, and the human body has a has a design, and uh, it's unique. Uh, when you look at our propulsion system, when you look at our, uh, our electrical system, the pneumatic systems that, that our, our our bodies have is incredibly designed. And there was a designer, but it just didn't happen. There's a creator. And the Bible says that God created the heaven and the earth and everything in it. And Ben, I just believe it. But you have to accept it by faith. You just have to believe it. And uh, I just believe it. And uh, sometimes the people that have the most sophistication, the most uh, expertise, uh, the the higher the PhD or the learning, uh, sometimes it's those people that are the hardest ones to reach.
1: It has always seemed to me that arguments like the the sort of argument from design, uh, it's a response to an argument that simply misses the point of God, which is that God can do whatever he wants. And that even if God wanted to evolve evolve human beings from a tadpole, even if you believe that evolution happens through simply natural selection and, and random mutation, why wouldn't God be able to design it that way? There's sort of this bizarre disconnect where if there's a naturalistic explanation, therefore nobody stands behind nature. I've never fully understood the idea that, that, if nature has laws, if nature has rules, that there there has to be there there can't be any designer for those laws or rules. That that somehow nature operating a certain according to certain constructs is somehow a disproof of God rather than a proof of His presence and, and a mind at work.
0: The world in which we live, everything is set into motion, and um, our our universe is set on a certain motion. We're so many miles from the sun. If we were just a few miles fir- further or closer. Uh, we may not be able to live on this planet. Uh, we live in a very delicate sphere of atmosphere. And uh, if you go five miles straight up, if you, I don't know where you live, but I'm sure you can have a vantage point somewhere where you can look and see five miles It's not that very far. Um, and you go straight up five miles, you're not able to sustain life. Uh, you, you can't breathe at uh, 25,000 feet. We live in a fragile envelope. Here on earth. And we need to we need to preserve it, take care of it. God made it, He created it. And I just have to believe Him by faith, Ben. I don't believe that somehow we just appeared out of nowhere. Uh, God designed us, and He designed this world, and He designed this whole sphere in which we live. And He put the stars in place. And all of that was a part of God's handiwork. And I just uh I just believe it. And I know that He loves us and He made us and He knows everything about us individually. He knows our life. He knows our problems. And the amazing thing is that we can talk to Him anytime, anyplace, anywhere. I can talk to God and and He wants to hear our concerns. And I think it's perfectly fine with God for us to call Him in the middle of the night. He's not asleep. He's not some God that has to have sleep. He's there. Just call his name, he's there, and and he will hear. If we put our faith and trust in his son, Jesus Christ, he's going to hear us. There is no other, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. There's not uh, multiple roads to God. There's only one path to God, and that goes through the cross, because Jesus is the only one in history to take the sins of mankind. Uh, No other person ever claimed to say i took your sins i died in your place nobody nobody's ever claimed that only one that's jesus christ he said i took your sins and i died in your place and i i laid my life down and i took it back again and he's alive in his life forever and the bible says he's coming back uh and i believe that could be soon
1: Something that, that is eminently true and has been proved true uh, over the course of the last several decades is that the decline in church in the United States, that the rise in secularism has had some pretty dire social effects. I'm going to talk about that with you in just one second. First, let's talk about the fact that you're spending an awful lot of time online right now because you can't go outside. Literally, you cannot. So if you're a hacker, this is your paradise because you can just hack anybody. People are putting their credit card information online unprotected. Don't be one of the dupes. Instead, go get a VPN from ExpressVPN. ExpressVPN will give you the best online protection possible. I've been talking about ExpressVPN on my show for so long. You already know why encrypting your network data is important. Some of you still have not acted. Now is the time. You might be thinking security threats don't affect you personally, but not using ExpressVPN, that's like leaving your front door unlocked every time you go out. So nothing might happen for years. When a break-in does happen, it's not going to be great. One of the easiest ways to secure your internet data is with ExpressVPN. Click one button on your computer or smartphone, and you are now protected. So here's the only question. Why haven't you gotten ExpressVPN yet? Visit my special link right now, expressvpn.com slash Ben. Get an extra three months of ExpressVPN for free. Protect your internet today with the VPN I trust to keep my own data safe. That's expressvpn.com slash Ben. I'm on the internet all the time and I use ExpressVPN. You should too. Expressvpn.com slash Ben. Franklin, we look at the rise of secularism and and non-affiliated is the number one group of millennials. We're watching younger people basically rejecting religion wholesale. We're seeing organized religion in decline by statistics. Why do you think that is, particularly given the fact that after several decades of an increasingly secular America, it is obvious that there are pretty dire social effects to to exactly that sort of secularization, particularly in, in some of the more hard-hit Rust Belt areas, that when, when churches disappear, so does the social fabric. And we've seen opioid epidemics and, and broken lives. We've seen epidemics of suicide, uh, disconnection. But why, why does secular? why has secularism been on the rise despite the fact that there's been Uh, such obvious evidence of dire consequences
0: well uh, secularism uh first of all let's go back to what talk about the decline of the the church Uh, i'm not sure the church is in decline i think there are some mainline denominations that quit preaching the bible for some time and people just quit attending those churches Uh, what you see is a rise of uh bible teaching churches uh, where pastors just get up and they open up the Bible and say, let's read today what God's word says, and they start teaching the Bible. Those churches are full. They're packed. People are hungry today. They want to know the word of God. And uh, secularism is, it gives license for people uh, to live as just about any kind of wicked life they want to without any consequences. And of course, that's very attractive. And a lot of people go that direction and say, oh, this is going to be fun. This is going to be great. But there's emptiness. And you're right, the suicide rate uh, is just incredible, uh, the problems that secularism brings, because it doesn't give answers. It, it, it gives them this license to be free, but at the end of the day, they're not free. And they're, they're slaves to sin. And uh, they, they want to be free. They, they want answers. They're searching and looking for something better And they're not finding it. And I want people to know that uh, what they're searching for is God. And if they put their trust in him, uh, he'll take that broken life and he'll put it together just like he did mine. And he'll use you and he'll forgive you and cleanse you and uh, give you hope uh, for the morning. Hope for the next day. And how important we need today, we need that hope for the next day.
1: Major media in the United States have have basically blamed evangelicals for... Uh, getting involved in politics, they're very upset with religious people being involved in politics. They say that this is religious theocracy. It seems to me that it's precisely the opposite of of what actually happened. What actually happened is that there was a fairly wide social consensus on a wide variety of issues and that the secular left in the 1960s basically broke those down. And evangelical Christians like religious people of all stripes basically stood up on their hind legs and said, well, no, you don't get to discard those social consensuses without any sort uh, of evidence. When do you think it becomes incumbent on religious people to get involved in politics? Under what circumstance, do you think religious people shouldn't be involved in politics? And, and how should they be involved in politics?
0: Uh, well, first of all, in, in 2016, I went to every state capitol and held a prayer rally on the Capitol steps. Um, I thought if I would have a few hundred join me in prayer, uh, that would be important because I felt our country was in trouble and we needed to pray. Uh, Instead of hundreds, it was thousands. Uh, Many, In some places, tens of thousands of people who showed up on the Capitol steps uh, to pray. And they weren't there to hear me speak, but they were there to pray for our nation. And so these were people that cared for our country, that prayed. I never endorsed a person uh, uh, in the last election. Uh, And I just encouraged people to pray the way they felt God was leading them to vote. So I encouraged people to vote. And then I also encourage Christians to run for office. We need the Christian voice uh, in state politics in the state house. We, we need them in the local politics. We need them, school boards. How important school boards are! And if we could have Christians on school boards and have their voice heard, how important that would be! And so I encourage Christians uh, to not only to vote, but to get involved politically, because uh, the you know the gays and lesbians have have their candidates. Uh, muslims have their candidates uh so many people have their candidates and i think it's important for christians to have candidates out there uh that that can run and win and we need the christian voice this is america this is democracy and we we certainly uh, have the right to have a voice at the table so that's uh that's kind of what we're doing ben uh we encourage people to vote again i don't try to tell people how to vote Uh, i'm a conservative uh, I have conservative values, uh, just not only politically, but uh, spiritually, I have uh, conservative values. And, uh, but I think we as conservatives have a right to be heard and have a right to vote and to uh, be part of the process.
1: How should Christians think about the separation of church and state? Every time Christians get involved in politics, there are accusations that they're trying to establish a Christian theocracy, that this is the handmaid's tale or something like that. How should, how should Christians think about their involvement in politics while respecting the boundaries between church and state?
0: Well, I mean, I think we don't compromise. Uh, I think that's part of the problem we've had is Christians have compromised. We, we shouldn't compromise. We should hold to what the Bible teaches and hold to those standards. And if we if we have uh, a majority, I think we have an opportunity to, 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 to pass some good laws maybe in this country. Uh, this, so we have that right uh uh, to to be a voice and you know if you you take a hundred years ago um the political leaders in the communities were the pastors uh if your house burned down and you were uh your family was desolate you went to the local church and the pastor would find somebody in the community that would take you in they would clothe you they would feed you they would care for you but the government has taken uh those type of social services upon themselves. And they don't do nearly as good as the churches used to do it. And what's happened, the church is kind of okay, but we'll just let the government do that then. And we have slowly backed up and backed up and let the government take more and more and more control of society. And they're they're not doing a better job at it, they're doing an inferior job, not better. Uh, When A lot of the problems that we face today were handled at the local level. It was done with compassion, with love, and uh, with the interest of the people that they were helping. Today, it's just clinical, and uh, the government just writes out a check and uh, thinks that will solve it. But the problems of this world need more than just a check. Uh, It needs people, one-on-one interaction, people that care, people that are willing to let their voice be heard, uh, uh, people that are willing to to go into a community and and make a difference with your life. Uh, Invest it in a community and make a difference.
1: So, Franklin, obviously we live in an incredibly vitriolic time. You've taken an enormous amount of abuse for expressing support for President Trump and uh, some of the things that he has done as president of the United States. How do you rate his, uh, his overall performance as president?
0: Well, Ben, I, um, I, I, I support the president. He's our president. We don't have another president. He's, he's the only one we got. And he needs our prayers. Uh, he's had a very difficult, uh, when he ran in 2016, uh, most of the Republicans were against him. I'm talking about Republican leadership. Now, of course, the Democrats were against him. And, uh, and he, um, somehow he won the election. And people ask me, how did he do it? I think it was God being, for some reason, I think God just, just uh, picked Donald J. Trump. And you say, well, he's flawed, he's, he's a sinful person, he's this or that. Well, we're all flawed and we're all sinful. But somehow God uh, chose him. Uh, to be the president at this particular time in history. And I think he's done an incredible job. No question, the the economy is the best it's ever been. We're in the middle of the coronavirus. Uh, we've got a lot of people out of work right now, but this is temporary. And uh, the, the economy is still very strong. And I, I think the president has done an incredible job with the coronavirus. Uh, I, I would just shudder to think if uh, someone else was president this time. Uh, uh, you know, the mess that we'd be in, but he's just, uh, he knows how to get people working, and he's got the industry right now, uh, General Motors and people like that, building uh, ventilators. He put the hospital ships in New York and California, where the, the opposition said it would take him six weeks to do it. He did it in one week. Uh, he, knows how to, he knows how to push buttons and make things happen, and he is the commander-in-chief, and so I certainly give him an A++.
1: So uh, there was a lot of controversy, obviously, in 2016, specifically surrounding President Trump's character, his personal character. Uh, yeah, there are a lot of people, including me, who are very critical of a lot of his conduct. Um, I've continued to, to do what I call the sort of good Trump, bad Trump model. Overall, I'm a supporter of the president at this point. I support his reelection. Um, but at the same time, I'm not uh, I'm not willing to let him get away with with sort of. Uh, some of the things that he says and does, and they make me deeply uncomfortable. How should how should religious people deal with the fact that, you, you mentioned he's a flawed character, we're all flawed characters, but how should religious people specifically deal with sort of the character flaws that are evident in, in President Trump without necessarily covering for those flaws, even if they are supporters?
0: Well, a lot of the accusation been of the president and uh, his lifestyle 20 years ago. And um, he's not the same person he was 20 years ago, neither you and neither am I. Uh, he's changed, and uh, now he tweets, and he will say things that, uh, that you know, a lot of people cringe at, but, but he, he's attacked every day by the media, every single day, and that is his one opportunity to, to fight back. It's, uh, Twitter is his newspaper. Uh, he doesn't have to get filtered by somebody. He can go directly to the American people, and it's worked for him. Uh, the American people are, are behind the president. And I know a lot of the polls will show, well, Biden is ahead by two points, or you know, someone else may be ahead by two points. I don't believe any of that by a second. I think uh, if you had the, the election today, uh, he would win overwhelming hands down. There's, uh, there's just, he's an incredible person, and I think people have trust and confidence in him. Um, and so, again, I don't agree with everything he says or does, but at the same time, uh, he is the president and we just have to trust him and back him and, sub- and help him all we can.
1: Well, I, in one second, I want to ask you about uh, an article that now seems forever ago from the December 2019 issue of Christianity Today. Uh, which apparently, you know, obviously claimed that President Trump should be removed from office. But if you want to hear Franklin Graham talk about that article, about Christianity Today, and about the legacy of that magazine, you have to be a subscriber over at DailyWire.com. So head on over to DailyWire.com and subscribe. Well, Franklin Graham, thank you so much for stopping by the show. I really appreciate it. And thanks for all the amazing work Samaritan's Purse is doing for people all over the world. Really, thank you, sir.
0: Thank you. God bless you.
1: Ben Shapiro Show Sunday special is directed by Mike Joyner and produced by Mathis Glover. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Associate producer, Katie Swinnerton. Our guests are booked by Caitlin Maynard. Post-production is supervised by Alex Zingaro. Editing is by Jim Nickel. Audio is mixed by Mike Coromina. Hair and makeup is by Nika Geneva. Title graphics are by Cynthia Angulo. The Ben Shapiro Show Sunday special is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2020.